This podcast is being recorded for quality assurance purposes, which is to say, to make sure we don't have any. Greetings, greetings, Professor Falcon. Shall, shall we play a game? The Incomparable Podcast, episode 14, for December 2010. Don't adjust your podcast. This is The Incomparable. I am not Jason Snell, amazingly enough. I am guest host Dan Moore, and Jason Snell couldn't be with us tonight for reasons that are better left undisclosed, because then he'll yell at me if I make something up. But we are here to talk about video games, which is a topic we have not previously done on The Incomparable. Joining me is a kind of a, I think the only thing fair to call them is a a rogues gallery of incomparable uh, contributors. Uh, Rogue was a great game. Yeah. We have, so we'll go down the, the list here. We have Greg Noss. How are you doing, Greg? Good. How about yourself? I am doing pretty well. Um, we have Steve Lutz. Yata hey. <laughs> Mixing it up a little bit. That's right. Um, in, in my hometown, actually, of Newton, Massachusetts, we have John Syracuse. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> and a new incomparable uh, contributor, a personal friend of mine, Tony Sindelar. Hey, Tony. Hey. Hi. Um, so yeah, video games. Um, this isn't something we talked about a lot. We've talked about some books, we've talked about movies and TV, but I think video games is a really important part of, of geek culture. And I, I know many of you are, are avid gamers, some more recently and some in, in more of a vintage fashion. But I mean, I'm sort of curious to start off now just to see. Are you calling me old? Uh, yes, yes, I'm calling you old. Everything Nas does is vintage. <laughs> <laughs> I was being polite. Uh, maybe I should dial this up. Like, um, Start being real, man. <laughs> so, I prefer classic. <laughs> I caught your reference. Retro. Don't worry, I'm with you. Somebody is with you. Okay. Thank God somebody's here. Um, so I'm curious where you guys, uh, two things. One, where you started out playing video games. Like, So what are the earliest video games you remember playing? And then maybe what you've been playing more recently or what you, you know, what systems you use nowadays, if, if any. Um, you know, and go around the table with that. Greg, what do you got? I, I started at the dawn of time. Um, I, I played the original Space War. I played, um, in, you know, the arcade version in a shakies. You could uh, drill a hole in a quarter and put a string on it and rack up any number of credits that you wanted before they figured out to mount the hole vertically rather than horizontally. That's a different sort of game. <laughs> That's the classic shakies and not this newfangled Yeah, you know, this is, this is the shakies of 30 years ago. They didn't have ranch dressing back then to dip your fries in. <laughs> we had ketchup and we liked it. It was a different right. sort of world, apparently. Um, I, I've played like the Odyssey 2. I had uh, an Atari VCS, the 2600. I, um, I remember when Space Invaders came out because it was the first game that had a lot of enemies rather than one little blip moving at you. Um, Night Driver, uh, all, the, all the old arcade games. That's, that's what I grew up on. I'm, I'm retracting my vintage comment and just going back to old. Yeah. <laughs> Paleolithic, <laughs> I believe, is the actual technical term. And yeah. then the it, it I, I played regularly as I was growing up. It's one of the reasons that I became a programmer is because I wanted to make my own. And then uh, just stopped, got busy. Games became an investment of time that I just couldn't make anymore for the large part. And that's changing with mobile stuff. But, man, the, the, the kids these days – yeah, there's there's certainly a uh, it's certainly become much more mainstream in some ways than than it ever has been before. Well, I think that um, uh, get off my console. <laughs> Black, uh, <laughs> Call of Duty Black Ops is is like the biggest media launch ever. I was I was amused to see there was an entire week's worth of Doonesbury strips about it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that then to then me, you know I, things are, are mainstream. God, right? It's really it's really convenient when that happens because then like old people will ask you about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I read in my newspaper strips on the Newton too. Remember, some of us old people actually have to ask ourselves about it. It's gotten that bad. Uh, Steve, what about you? Where did you start out? Uh, My first game system was Pong, and uh, yeah, the the black and white one that you hooked up to your TV. It was like one console. The paddles didn't even detach from the main console. One of my earliest memories is watching my brother defeat my uncle with his feet. (laughs) Is that with Pong or just in general? No, it wasn't a kung fu type thing. He was playing pong, but it was uh, it was still a lasting a lasting image. I actually have a a super pong console in the other room. It's the it's the nice. one that came afterwards that has four games: 
Pong, Volleyball, Basketball, and Super Pong. Well, what the hell are we doing on this podcast? Break that out. Come on. Sweet. Is that a Magnavox item? No, no. This is this is the Atari Pong, Super Pong. It, it takes oh, like wow. 90 batteries. You could kill somebody with it by swinging it at them. <laughs> and now is it still functional? Yep. Because they used to make those things totally bulletproof. No, it 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 is it is heavy as a brick, and um, the only yeah, the only I don't have an state. RF converter to hook it up to the back of the TV antenna. You can hear the ratchets and gears moving <laughs> yeah, inside. It's, it when it's a very very battle. tired squirrel who makes it go. You smell the nice. wood burning. Uh, and then I kind of continued on. Um, you know, had the VCS, had the Nintendo when it came out. Um, took a break during the college years to do some heavy drinking, and then. Um, <laughs> When I came to my senses, I kind of got back into gaming a little bit, and uh, now that I've I've got kids that are growing up uh, just high tech to begin with, they uh, you know they're they're starting to get into it, and I'm kind of finding a new lease on gaming, watching them play stuff, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, probably the most recent uh, foray into gaming is uh, I picked up a Kinect, mm. which is the new yeah the uh, Xbox 360 based motion tracking uh, camera. I, I'm fascinated. Dark <laughs> magic. Fascinated to hear about this because I've played, I've played a little bit of Wii, but I have not played the Kinect at all. I have actually have a friend uh, who's got one and who's actually really pumped about it, which I was kind of surprised because he is, you know, not necessarily a, like a hardcore gamer as it were, but he certainly plays, you know, plenty of Xbox shooters, things like that. And so I was kind of sure. curious about you, but he was really excited about Dance Central, um, I guess, which is one of the uh, launch titles for Connect, and even said some of the other ones like like Connectables were even kind of cool. So I, I'm yeah. kind of fascinated by this, but I don't know what to make of it quite yet. I was really into my Wii for a while too, and that that uh, yeah, that was during the college years as well. That would be a good soundbite for the end, by the way. <laughs> it's funny you use the word "really pumped" too in that. Uh... <laughs> John, how about you? Uh, I think I'm like a little bit after the old folks here. Uh, I didn't I didn't have Pong, but uh, my, my big barrier was that my parents would not let me have a video game machine of any kind oh. in my childhood. So all yeah, so schoolyard all of my experiences were through my friends. So my first friend who had a video game thing had an Atari 2600, and those were my first games. And I played you know uh, Kaboom and Night Driver and stuff like that. Uh, Adventure, but only when I was visiting over the house. Yeah, that, that type of thing, and and. I don't remember being that excited about it. I mean, I thought they were neat, but like, I, I didn't really think the graphics were that great. Um, and, and then I, I just didn't. I remember that that impression. Then I, I moved up through, you know, uh, personal computers. Like I had a VIC-20 and stuff like that. And then I got a Mac. And uh, I ended up being a Mac gamer sort of by default because I didn't have... I wasn't allowed to buy consoles. So I play NES over my friend's house and, you know, Sega Genesis and uh, Super Nintendo and stuff like that. But in my house, all I had was the Mac, and so I bought tons and tons of Mac games, which is a weird way to sort of grow up as a gamer. Because yeah. you probably had like, all eight. <laughs> well, there was a lot of games. Believe me, I mean, I've got, still got the boxes for them. You know, there were a lot of games. Most of them were horrible, but and they were black and white, right? But they had really high resolution, like they had I higher resolution Dark than Castle. Super Dark Nintendo. Castle, Dark Castle, yeah, Shuffle I mean, Puck Cafe. That was a great. Right. That was a great. Shuffle I'd Puck show those games to my friends who had consoles, and and despite the fact that they were black and white, they were blown away. But think about Dark Castle. Like the, no no video game console you could buy had that kind of uh, resolution, those kind of graphics and animation, and that kind of detail. Right? It was just you know unearthly. What Mac games were like the Mac software is there's a ton of detail that would go into it. All the little quirks right. and tweaks, and you know you played Dark Castle on Christmas, and the suit of armor would turn into a Christmas tree. Yep, yep. I mean, and and the thing about it was that even even PC gaming, like PC gaming with CGA and EGA, you could actually get colors that were not teal and pink, right? <laughs> uh, so I played PC games with my friends' houses, and you got a problem you know, with teal and pink. Yeah, <laughs> and you could still see the difference. You'd come back over the Mac, my black and white Mac with a nine-inch screen, and you know it was just amazing. Um, I kind of stayed in that ghetto for a while, and then you know <laughs> eventually uh, came out of it when I you know went to college and could. I got out of my parents' house, basically, and could buy my own video game uh, consoles for myself and then just, you know, sailed off into the sunset of console, modern console gaming, modern PC slash Mac gaming. Amish uh, no more. Yeah. And <laughs> so on and so forth. But, I mean, I did play a lot of the NES classics and stuff like that, but it was just all over a friend's house. So I didn't have the full experience. But I, I do feel like I had this exotic, it's like growing up on a tropical island, this exotic uh, gaming, uh, you know, crucible of uh, growing up on Mac games. That, it's a pretty – I mean, I had a very similar experience in some ways. But but before I mention that, I'll talk – Tony is one of my contemporaries. What about – where did you start out playing? Um, I think probably the first games I ever played would have been uh, DOS games on a very old you know, computer pre-Windows. 
and none of the names really stick with me. Um, I mean, I remember having floppy disks that would have like multiple games on them, and you know they would be very simple. I, I think probably one of the earliest things I remember was an incredibly, incredibly simplistic side scroller where like you had a little helicopter that you'd move around on the screen; it would go up and down. Um, and I, I, you know, I had a Nintendo, um, you know, in the late '80s when people had the original Nintendo. But I was also the, my, my Nintendo disappeared at a certain point um, because my parents thought determined that video games were, were a bad influence. I have two younger brothers, and there was there was an incident with Gauntlet one one day. That was that was the end of that. Had um, you moved in with John at this point? It, just just for reference, here, most of us make our livings now with technology, right? Yeah, and well, I, and there there was a, a strange kind of disconnect there in that video games were not okay, but computer games were okay. <laughs> exactly. My parents never saw that loophole either. Like they wouldn't let me get a video game console, but all I did was play video games on my computer all well, day. Well, the computer wasn't like like dedicated to games, yes. right? That's it might yes. as well have been for you know yes. uh, like, games and Mac Paint, basically. Um, <laughs> they apparently never saw Party Girls on the C sixty four. Strip poker on the Atari four hundred. Oh yeah. It was like when you try and regulate anything that you don't quite understand. I was also not allowed to play violent video games, so much of my 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 game passed. Uh, from the late 80s and, and into the 90s would have been uh, uh, graphic adventures by LucasArts and Sierra were kind of the, the foundation of that. And I remember when uh, the LucasArts game Dark Forces came out, which was basically Star Wars Doom, that that was like, there, there was a great rift there because, you know, I knew I was not allowed to play violent video games, but I very, 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 very much wanted to play Dark Forces because, you know, it was Star Wars. But so, yeah, there is kind of a disparity there. I had a very similar experience in, in some ways in that I did not have a computer until I was probably, you know, like 1991 or something like that. Wow. I can't I can't imagine you ever not having a computer. <laughs> but before that, I got a um, – I ended up with, a, with an original Nintendo. And the only reason that happened, as I found out many years later, was because my dad actually won it at a, like, supermarket, like – like sweepstakes thing so he won like an original nintendo it came with like three or four games including zelda the original zelda super mario brothers um and a couple other uh like a couple of those nice nes advantage controllers um and i was super psyched right because you know i i never thought i was going to get a video game system but um and then i had the, the disappointing experience of realizing that i was really very bad at most video games on the original nintendo <laughs> which i will argue are a lot were a lot harder than they are today i mean a lot of games didn't have any way to save anything or you know well, the only way they had of ensuring longevity was by making them hard right. as hell yes. so i would i would intent, like com- like repeatedly fall in pits and just be so like frustrated, taking me hours to get to that point or whatever that I would just throw it down in frustration. I, th- I think there was still very much the de- design ethos from arcade games where by making it difficulty, you generated more money. Yes. Well, and then you had to justify the 40 bucks you dropped on the game. It wasn't that bad because they they, they did have games that you could finish in yes. you know a, a day or two, right? They weren't like arcade games where they were really – there was no kill screen at the end, right? Like this you is could true. beat Zelda, and it, you know, Zelda was one of the first games to actually have saving on the cart. But the key was if you just hit the select button, mm-hmm. you could pause for days and days as you <laughs> tried to sleep with the fear that your brother was going to go in there or your friend and accidentally hit the power button on your mm-hmm. paused game that's been paused, you know. <laughs> And there were even there were the uh, the kind of rudimentary things where they wouldn't have save games, but they would let you have load states. I remember yeah, the, the uh, Mega right. Man Two had yep. like a grid with dots, yep. and I remember having like sheets of those in my house as you were trying. Because Mega Man Two, you could choose different paths in terms of which bosses you'd fight first, and there were optimal build orders. And I'd have like these stacks of paper of different permutations. And it's I think at one point I was trying to guess crack things, and that you know that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I went from and I went from Nintendo to the to the Mac, kind of like kind of like John. Um, and I, I remember having my first very disappointing experience uh, right after we got our first computer. I took my dad out to the software store that was a couple <laughs> blocks away, and we bought this like D and D game. And I took it home and didn't realize until I got home that it was a, a PC only game, <laughs> and that was just crushing because I really wanted to play it. Um, but you and, won that round, Dan. That software store probably not there anymore. <laughs> that that software store is totally out of business. Not not a lot of Babbage's hanging around. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a, it was an Egghead software. Oh, I'll tell yeah. you that. Oh, oh Egghead actually Street, had right? that game. Yeah, right on. Yeah, right there. Yeah, I bought a copy of Egghead. Commander Keen Six there. <laughs> I worked at a software et cetera for a year and a half. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was paying penance for something. 
Yeah, but I had a buddy who worked at Software Etc. in uh, in the mall by my house, and he would take games home and play them, and yep. then shrink wrap. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it was company policy. You could take anything home, and there was a shrink wrap machine. Oh in the back. man, was I ever envious of that dude? Was that considered you just a uh, job education? Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you could do that play. until very recently at GameStop. Even I think they got in trouble, like within the last two years about. You're not supposed to sample your wares, I thought. I thought that was, like, cardinal rule. <laughs> Are we talking about the Wii again? Um, did any of you play, a, like, text adventure stuff? I remember, because I was thinking of my very... One of my earliest memories was going over to a friend's house and playing some text-based DOS game that was basically a really... It was a text sort of adventure, but it was clearly a Star Wars knockoff. Um, like, it was rescue a princess from this space station before the space station, like, blows up or something. Um, and you could get this... Uh, they called it a Vorpal Blade in, in, homage, in homage to um, uh, Jabberwocky, I guess. But it was basically a lightsaber. Um, but I, I have this very vivid memory of playing that at a friend's house when I was probably in, like, like first or second grade. There... Um, and then there was, of course, I played some Zork, you know, whenever. Mm-hmm. I basically, I remember hopping around, like, whenever my parents would take me to these sort of family friend's house or some sort of distant cousins or something. Um, and they want to entertain me. They'd stick me in the room with like the computer or whatever, and I would figure out like whatever game was on there. So I played like half a Zork that way, and a few other things as well. There was a golden period of text adventures. They were they were all pretty lousy, but they were coming out like three or four a day. It seemed it was after Infocom had started and kind of bootstrapped mm-hmm. the industry the interest in them. But then like Scott Adams, uh, the Scott Adams text adventures, there were twenty or thirty of them that came out. And then the Sierra Online also did. Um, the the princess and the something or other <laughs> they were they started the wizard the, and the princess the wizard and the princess yes and they introduced graphics the top half of the screen that would that would take three or four seconds to draw graphics yes. that they amusingly referred to as high res adventures yes. <laughs> on the Apple II <laughs> looking at black and white stick figures with knives <laughs> speared through them I had a I had, you freaked me out with the Infocom thing just because I have memories of being in, in junior high school in the computer labs after school and we were trying to beat the Hitchhiker's Guide Infocom adventure. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a tough one. That is a hard game. It was the yeah, first game that lied to you. Yeah, we got stuck in the part with the babble. That's a cheap. That's a cheap game. I would yes, that was. A, I mean, that was the thing where we got stuck in the room with the babble fish, and like you know, you try. Which is like, like five minutes into the game. Yeah, and so you try the entire damn like put the towel over the grate in the floor. Now the fish right. slips under the towel, and, and the robot the comes out. Satchel and... in front of the robot yep. thing, and then the mail on top of the satchel, so it flies through the air, and the airborne robot catches the mail and doesn't get the babble fish, and then it lands in your ear. Well, I don't wow. know if that's still Spo- spoiler it. alert. Yeah. I, I oh, sorry. To fire off the Get the horn. Yeah, not all of us have beaten that puzzle yet. But what part of your what, what, what information could be in that part of your brain that's taken up with memories of the hitchhikers? <laughs> it's either that or Abba lyrics. I found. Mm-hmm. I think that's a dedicated slot. Actually, nothing else will fit there. You spend long enough working at something, you 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 keep it. They ported the Secret of Monkey Island, um, which is one of my favorite games of all time, from like 1990 to the. The Xbox 360, and I bought it, which I felt a little indignant about, you know, buying it again. Um, but I think I felt further indignant when I replayed the entire game. It took me, I think, like a summer as, you know, like a 12-year-old. Um, I replayed it in like two hours because I remembered the answers to every single puzzle. <laughs> Not the puzzles were easy for an adult Tony to figure out, but like they were burned into my head. Well, that's a testament to the really good games. A lot of these adventures are a big part of my life, too, because how just having a Mac, you didn't have lots of you know graphics. Mm-hmm. You had text adventures. So they had ports of Apple II stuff, like Transylvania and the Crimson Crown. Those mm-hmm. were also Apple II games, but they were basically text adventures with a little graphics. So you're sitting there typing you know, your little commands and everything. Uh, the Uninvited, Shadowgate. And I remember those because, again, it'd be like at that, at that age... Solving one of those puzzles yourself just like alters your brain in interesting ways. So you still remember, you know, uh, some of them are actually novel, like uh, Shadowgate and stuff. Had things where you dragged some item on top of another item mm-hmm, as part of the puzzle, it. and it wasn't and it wasn't just uh, typing stuff in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's, that's the, these games. The the ones that you re- I've, I've played hundreds of games. I mean, back back when I had my Atari four hundred and did that instead of having a childhood. Um, I I played dozens and dozens and dozens of games, and I remember a few of them. But the ones that I remember have a greater place in my mind than, like, a lot of movies or books or or relatives or friends. (laughs) Well, there's something about the whole – the the interactive nature of it, I think, because, like like John's saying with solving the puzzles, you get get engaged in a way you don't necessarily Mm – when you're a passive reader Mm -hmm. or a passive – you know, audience member watching a movie, but like if you do something, you know, use some sort of procedural 
uh, action, then it really does stick with you. I remember playing Deadline for the first time. I ordered it. I bought it. It was fifteen dollars, and I and it came. And they used to come in in custom packs. It was a dossier that was sealed shut with a you know a crime sticker, and you'd open it up, and there was you know mm-hmm. crime scene evidence and photos, and it was just and it that was. One had- Pills, as I recall. Yes, yes. So the pills that bullion? were put into the uh, the tea that killed Mr. Robner. I'm Man, sorry. This game sounds I, awesome. I kind of want to play that now. It's terrific. Oh, it's a great game. And it 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 I I I mean it's what, gosh, twenty five years later, and I and I still profoundly remember it. I mean, and and this sort of I let's you know to segue a little bit into the the current state of gaming. I'm very. I find it very interesting how it seems like gaming today is both a, a much larger world, just in general. I mean, it, like we talked about earlier, it's gotten much more mainstream, and it encompasses all sorts of things from mobile gaming to console gaming to computer gaming to online, you know, web gaming, that kind of stuff. Um, but in some ways, the mainstream of it has become very almost rote in the same way that, that mainstream film has, I think. I mean, you know, you see a lot of titles that are very repetitive and they fall into a similar formula, you know, a first person shooter, a strategy game, um, an RPG, that kind of thing. And it, it right. seems like there's not a lot of innovation there. So well, yeah, the big development houses keep rehashing the same properties, which is very similar to what happens in Hollywood right now. Well, the budgets have gotten so big. They are Hollywood movies. They have launches. And if you don't make it in the first couple of weeks, you're dead. And you may have invested right. $50 million and, and, you know, 300 man years in developing this thing. And so you're not going to take a risk. And but every, every once in a while, you get one of those indie hits, right? Yeah. Like you get something like Minecraft, which is the game that a lot of people have been talking about recently. That's just, you know, some guy made this game, right? Because it was zero risk. Right. You, well, and the big studios do it, too. Like Valve did Portal, right? I mean, it's just well, like Hollywood. No, 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 have, no, you know, no. Students did Portal. They, they, acqui- they acquired them. But it's the same thing yeah. as like Miramax. You know, like the big studios find someone with a, with a good idea and give them a little bit of money and maybe it's a hit. And it happens in movies, too. It's just... You know, like, think, look at Clerks, for example. That's an example of, of an indie hit that, you know, went on, let the person go on to greater things or maybe lesser things. Kevin <laughs> <laughs> Smith probably is. That's, 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 for another, but, that's for another podcast. Generally. Yeah, but, but there's lots of, you know, Hollywood does exactly the same thing. And it's <laughs> that, that whole system exists. It's just that in gaming, it seems like people are more reliably able to make money off the generic stuff. And so... Like like when when generic Hollywood movies flop, they flop a lot more often than generic first person shooters do. I feel like because if you make a high quality AAA first person shooter game for the Xbox with a good uh, license for intellectual property, you'll make your money back. It's like a solid earner. You don't have one of those. Very rarely do you have one of those fifty million dollar games come out and totally flop. But you can have a hundred million dollar movie like Ishtar come out and, and make like nothing. You know, so I think. They're they're sticking to the formula more just because their success rate is higher than the Hollywood guys are when they stick to the formula. That's one reason I'm excited about like the smaller mobile games like on the iPhone is they aren't as big a risk and they can really experiment with gameplay. There's a lot of really weird stuff on the iPhone that's fun and doesn't require a 60 or 80 hour investment nor a 60 or 80 dollar investment. And and the expectation from the, the gamer is for the quality of graphics and the length of the game are a lot more reasonable for what one person or a small group of people could actually well, construct. It's, it's kind of a different audience, too, because of yeah. that touch interface. It mm-hmm. makes people not be... Like, remember when people tried to make, like, oh, Space Invaders for your iPhone and, you know, Galaga for your iPhone, right. and it kind of works, but it's like, that's not, you know... All the conventional games that the gaming developers have been making for, you know, decades, you can't make those for the iPhone. You can, but they're crappy. You have to, you have to think of something new. Which is interesting, because it's one of the examples of how technology, I think... Uh, you know, a lot of the technology has in some ways not exactly stayed the same, but it's progressed along logical lines, right? We've gone to higher and higher uh, resolution displays. You know, we've gone to to better uh, physics engines, that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, the, the interactive part of it with the touchscreen, both on the, the iPhone and, you know, the other smartphones, as well as things like the Nintendo DS. Um, the DS, I always thought was really interesting as a platform just because... It clearly was Nintendo trying to, you know, a whole bunch of really different technologies because they did. There were games that involved touch. There were games that involved microphone. You know, they really played with with all the conventions that we had become established to. Well, that's the what last. the Wii did too. Was introduce new interface conventions mm-hmm. and the Connect. Well, Nintendo's well. always been willing to do crazy. Remember Virtual Boy. That didn't, didn't, didn't work out for them, but it, but they've always been willing to say, I don't know, stick a camera on there, put put eye goggles in it, or put a thing you strap on your arm, or you know, I mean, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. They're kind of people are kind of dismissive, or at least hardcore gamers are dismissive of casual gaming, 
but it, every time I try and play a hardcore gamer's game, I get my ass handed to me because I haven't invested a significant portion of my life just becoming competent. Now you're a casual gamer. Well, it's it's a whole bunch different of, game. I mean, that's how they I always realize that whenever I play, you know, we'll I'll play, uh, you know, shooters with my friends online or whatever, and every once in a while we'll we'll venture out into the wilds of the internet and totally get get ripped just because uh, <laughs> we don't know. I mean, there's a whole other level of game there that we weren't even aware of. I, I find that exhilarating still, though, because I, I still I still like <laughs> you're, you're not just so much like getting, getting your ass handed to you because I can well, arrange no, for that. The thing, is, the thing is, I feel, to like, <laughs> I feel like I'm still a contender a little bit, like you know, because like for example, when Unreal Tournament 2004 came out, like. I, I didn't have time to play games a lot or whatever, but I had first-person shooter skills kind of honed by in, like, Quake, you know, back in those days and a little bit of Doom, right? So I'd play Unreal Tournament 2004 during my lunch break with my coworkers, right? And then we'd go online and play people, and we weren't the best, but we weren't the worst. We, we could hang in there with the crazy 12-year-olds playing constantly, and there's something exhilarating about that level of sort of Darwinian survival of the fittest. Like, there's no hand-holding, there's no coddling. It's either you can play with them or you can't. And, and if you I can't, mean, it's no I fun. I think that's why... When you can, it's no fun, but it's like it's like playing like a, a sport or you know, yeah, it's like, it's like a sport where there's basketball like basketball with Shaquille O'Neal or something. Well, <laughs> well, not even because it's other, it's other, just other people, just like you. But there's no, there's no uh, hand holding or coddling. There's no like, oh, everyone gets a trophy, which you see a lot of in many aspects of life. I mean, gaming, you know, is just I want a trophy, damn it. Where, Right, we're you know well, we're just we're just here to have fun, and we're here to no. This is cutthroat competition, and I really love that that corner is still there, and that occasionally I can. I can I can be on the same field with them and not not feel like John. Uh, I can guarantee that not only you'll not get a trophy, you will probably get many other unpleasant things done to you. <laughs> you, you know, somewhere there's mute, some congressman know? working avidly at finding some way to level the playing field for all video game players. Plus, as as someone with a son, I really feel like I have to keep up these skills because it's my job to, for as long as I possibly can, dominate him in all gaming activities. <laughs> Until the coming of age when he finally beats his father. You want that to be an experience. You don't want it to be like, oh, he's four, and now he can beat his dad. <laughs> I don't know. I still that's... can't beat my dad at chess, and I'm 30. <laughs> well, you know, that's a different kind of game. But I can. I used, the only game I think I ever convinced my dad to play with me was uh, RC Pro-Am on the original Nintendo. And I definitely rocked him on that because he had no idea what was going on. That's a different thing with this generation in that, uh, in general, our children are doing things that we enjoyed as children, whereas I was not doing things that my father enjoyed, but just because there was no like no technology. Like he was like roller skating or rolling a hoop or whatever the hell he was doing. <laughs> he was growing up, right? Riding so, a bicycle with a big front wheel and a tiny back one. So, uh, you know, but I'm, but my son is watching Star Wars movies. My son is playing through, you know, Wind Waker now, a game that I played when I was, you know, in my 20s. You know, so it, it's kind of weird to be raising kids in an age where they actually do things that their parents did. And uh, oh god, I hope not. You know. I want to I want to veer back into the motion controls question because I think that the the casual gaming is an interesting field in that there's I mean of course Nintendo came out with the Wii what like 2006 or so um, and you know there was kind of a lot of derision from especially the hardcore gamers as we were saying but now the Nintendo oh, vagina. <laughs> I mean, the name didn't help. That's wow. that's for sure. Um, but I think, and now every all the other major console people are are copying them, right? I mean, Sony came out with a motion sensitive controller, and now Microsoft sort of up the ante with the Kinect. Well, you um, can't argue with a barrel full of cash. Yeah, they they sold a billion of them. Yeah, there, there was that great cover to Edge magazine that had a gold Nintendo Wii mode on it and said, "Who dares wins?" Which is basically Nintendo was the one who dared because they were in last place. Nintendo was had the, had the least to lose, and so they they did the move the the move with the most guts, and it paid off for them. Well, the Wii was a genius idea, really, for them. I mean, uh, they realized they couldn't compete on a purely technological level with Sony and and uh, and Microsoft, and uh, and they really didn't even want to try because those two systems were so similar. You know, just these high-powered graphics pushers. <laughs> and, Nintendo uh, could compete with the, with the graphics because the game in the GameCube generation, the GameCube was held its own with with you know it was in between well, no, basically the Xbox the, and the, and the but, PS2. But then too, the, the but, Wii got derided for basically being two GameCubes duct taped together. <laughs> Well, I mean, it wasn't. It was just one GameCube. But, but the thing is, they, they lost in the market and they couldn't sell games, so they weren't making money. They were in last place money-wise, not technology-wise, like, you know, because they're all make, having the same guys make their chips. You know, in that generation, IBM made all the CPUs. The, the point is not that they, they could not have competed on the technological front. Obviously, they could have rammed a bunch of graphics chips into a box and, and attempted to compete. But I think they saw that the market was glutted with with uh, with pixel-pushing monsters like the Xbox and the and the PS3. 
Um, and they've always kind of leaned towards this approach that differs from, from what Sony and Microsoft do, which is that Sony and Microsoft will take a loss on the hardware up front and make all their money on the licensing of the games on the back end. Whereas Nintendo saw an opening, you know, this, this, uh, this wide open casual market that was starting to burgeon and uh, decided, you know, what, rather than try and produce a third more of the same kind of gaming console. Let's try something else. We won't bother trying to overcome the others with our graphics. And, uh, and we'll actually make a profit on the console before we even get around to, uh, to taking our, our skim off of the games. Well, Nintendo always made a profit on their hardware if they could. They also made a profit on, on the games. I mean, they were the king uh, for a while, but it took two generations of them coming in last in terms of sales. They, 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 uh, Nintendo 64, they were in last place. GameCube, they were in last place. And... You know, and it's not for like look at the hardware. The GameCube hardware was quality hardware. They just they were just losing, and it took a well, long time no for them to learn support. a lesson that you know, yeah, it, it came down losing. to no third parties because they, yeah, they couldn't attract other other uh, developers onto their consoles, and and meanwhile Sony and Microsoft were locking up by you know buying Rare and. Uh, Squaresoft and all the other big third-party developers. Well, Nintendo's appeal has always been, or much of Nintendo's appeal has always been their the first-party titles, right? The the franchises like Zelda and Mario, right? Well, that's but, because they made all the money on those, right? Like they controlled everything. Remember when they used to charge third parties to make the co- the cartridges for them? Yeah, yeah, yep. they had those little yeah. seals on them, right? Yep. Right. Is that if you were a third party, you had to give some huge amount of your money to Nintendo, and you also had to pay them to build your cartridges. They made a profit on everything. Like they want. Sounds, they sounds wanted, like another company know. I could name, but yeah, they were very <laughs> Apple-like in that regard, <laughs> yeah, and they kind of had Apple. the same fall where it's like, well, you know. That business used to be a winner, but now now that style of business is a loser because no one wants to work with you. They want to work with right. these competitors. So well, they, they reached the point of, where you know, all they had was their first party titles, and that was it. I mean, by the time right. the GameCube came out, you you either bought Nintendo first parties or you went and played your friend's Xbox. Yeah, so it was like a decade there of them trying and losing. So it's not quite as noble as it might seem in retrospective. Like, oh, Nintendo had a better idea. Nintendo was screwed, right? And they, they you know, and they, because they had so little to lose and they were back into a corner, they said, "All right, forget." It. They basically bet the company on the Wii because that was a bet the company move. They got a new CEO. He said, "I'm going to do this crazy thing." Everyone thought it was crazy, you know. Before, you know, when they introduced the Wii, they're like, "You're doing what?" With the what now? It's a remote control. You are so dead. And they weren't dead, you know. They. <laughs> They ate everyone alive. This raises an interesting question to me, though, which is now that Sony and Microsoft have both made their own moves into the same sort of realm, um, is there room for all of these different companies to survive? Because, I mean, I I know people who have Wii, uh, a Wii, and I just I feel like I don't hear about constantly compelling titles coming out for the con for the console. I mean, I think unfortunately the Wii suffers now from it's it's kind of like back where the PlayStation and the Xbox were. The Wii is such a popular platform that there's a glut of junk software for it. People call it Wii shovelware. Well, there always was. There's so many people developing for the Wii, and in some ways, it's you know the graphic standards are lower for the Wii. There's just there's a ton of garbage out there. Well, the, the Wii has the uh, uh, an interesting problem. It's sort of like the Nintendo 64 and GameCube problem, where it's like, well, the first party titles are great, but the third party ones are not great. And before it was third party ones weren't great just because they didn't have the games, but now they have you know shovelware. They just have the uh, bad ports and it's still it's kind of must be frustrating for nintendo to say we we sold the most consoles we had the huge installed base we crushed all our competitors and we still have only great first party titles and not great third party titles well and it's interesting too because this is this is very similar to what happened back in 1986 or 88 or 87 or so when uh, when they had the big video gaming crash I mean, there were there were boatloads of third party titles coming out from every which mm-hmm. way for the Nintendo. Yeah, and... Purina chased the chuck wagon. <laughs> <laughs> that was an Atari twenty six hundred title. That was the previous crash. And it kind of makes me wonder if we're not about to see something similar. Well, uh, I mean, I, I think we have the outlet of mobile to prevent that crash because I, I think you'll just people will shift their dollars because the explosion in mobile gaming shows that it's not just going to like go away, go away. Like gaming, gaming is now. Uh, is now too big to fail, basically. Like it's too diverse. You can't kill it. It's too big to fail is a bad analogy. It's more like like a hydra. Like you can you can chop off all the consoles and make every console maker fail, right? But it doesn't matter because gaming has got its claws into everything. You can never get rid of it. Maybe it's like black mold. Are we going to start seeing? <laughs> keep keep take, taking shots, John. You'll yeah, find you'll find a good analogy sooner or later. Black mold, just hydra. Keep going. I'm, you know. <laughs> Are we going to uh, see a government Chlamydia. bailout of video games sometime soon? 
a or maybe like a government bailout video game. Was I mean, bad, that, uh, would you <laughs> play that? Just, just to be clear, did you say that gaming is like a black hole or like guacamole? It was a little... <laughs> mold I was thinking of. You know, when it gets into your house and you just can't get it out, so it's got to burn black the house mold. down. No. I really hate the point is, if you killed all the consoles, house. like gaming would still be alive. It's not going to be like it was in it's the like crash in the 80s, you know? <laughs> the, the podcast of misplaced analogies, I think we'll call That's it. That's right. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I think that the, the Wii is, is definitely going to see a lot of challenge from, from Microsoft and Sony, but I don't, I don't know. Are people really that desirous of like, you know, standing around and flailing their arms? Is that, is that something that appeals to people? Well, they keep buying them. They sure was hell bought a lot of them, right? I mean, Dan, Dan I don't know about you, but I am flapping my arms right now. <laughs> and it's not really sold, sold, right? I mean, Look I'm having a good though. time. Like, I can tell Connect you that was, my... uh, you know, the third, Johnny Come Lately, the third one, the last guy to get motion control, and they still sold a, a billion of them on, you know, it was like a million and a half in the first month, like they best-selling electronics gadget ever. Yeah, I don't know. They sold a lot, and I wonder if part of that is, I mean, they sort of took it to the next level, right? Both the Sony one and the Nintendo one require the, you know, your controllers that you're moving around, and Microsoft's like, screw that. We're going to go straight to just, you know, you know, it's just you. You are the controller. <laughs> And so, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I have, like I said, I haven't played one. I, I know nothing about, you know, its merits or what have you. But that seems like another pretty, it seems like they're trying to take it to the next level. They're trying to one-up them, right? Well, I can tell you that their, their marketing worked gangbusters because my four-year-old, before we bought the thing, was walking around the house for days saying, with connectimals, you are the controller. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of, kind of terrifying, actually. It was very distressing for me personally. And yet you Although, went out and got one anyways? I was as amped as he was. And what, what is it about that appeals to you? I mean, I'm curious. Is it just, uh, you know, I think after whatever it's been, 30-odd years of gaming, I, I'm interested in giving the new stuff a try whenever it comes out. Because I think I've, I've pretty much reached the point where I'm jaded on standard gaming, and it doesn't really hold as much interest for me as it once did. So tell us about Connectimals. Well, the, the, uh, first of all, the Connect itself actually works surprisingly well. I, I waited for the free the initial reviews to come in before I went out and got one. Uh, and they were, I guess, sort of mediocre to positive. So I wasn't expecting much when I hooked the thing up. Uh, but I was shocked at how well it actually tracks you. I mean, it does have its issues. Uh, you know, it freaks out occasionally when uh, you move your hands in front of your chest and it loses track of where your extremities are. Uh, which usually results in some pretty hilarious results on screen when you watch your your on screen avatars like hand snap in these very <laughs> unusual ways and uh but but by and large, the technology works a lot better than I was expecting it to um it 's not really one to one that they i guess Microsoft opted not to put any kind of processing power within the the uh device itself, so it 's up to the three sixty to actually do all the processing, which does result in some lag. But it's it's very similar to the Wii, um, where you know the Wii remotes really the fidelity on the things were ridiculous, just horrible. And uh, a couple of good developers, Nintendo most notably with Wii Sports, just figured out ways to work around the fact that the things really had no idea where they were in space. And they later they later updated them. They they sell the whole new add-on that's supposed to bring the yeah the, one the Wii oh, that's plus. that's built in yes. now actually, and that does work a, a hell of a lot better. That the, the add-on, the Motion Plus add-on, which is now built into the Wiimotes that you buy, uh, that's the way everyone thought it worked when they first bought the Wii. It is much but better, the, yeah. But, but the, you know. yeah, the, the the first round, I mean. The, the only way that uh, they really sold the system was by making Wii Sports smart enough to not really care where the controller was. Well, that, that's part of the brilliance of game design, I think, because people just want to have fun, right? And if right. they don't realize that in order to, to win at this you know, bowling game, you just need to, to flick an, your thing in a certain way because it's really just a tilt sensor. If they don't right. know that and they go through the whole big motion, they, they tune the game so that going through a full-fledged bowling motion results in the correct series of inputs to win the game. And it's, it's easier for people to say, I'm just going to do my bowling motion than to sit there like a gamer and figure out how do I have to manipulate these accelerometers to win the game, right? So right. people just did the full bowling motion. And I think that that's just good game design. That's working within the limitations to make a game that people find fun, you know? I, right. I see that as an interesting parallel to something like Rock Band, which is a, a game that, you know, I played a lot of in the last few years in that there, I definitely know people who are entirely focused on playing it to, you know, like perfection, 
Um, and so they'll sit on the couch and they'll be very intent. Like they're all just sort of like pressing all the buttons, you know, the, you can see them sort of deep in thought about it as opposed to the people who will play it by being like, you know, Hey, let's, we're, we're rock stars, you know, let's just stand, stand around and, and, and sing and, and, you know, play like we're actually in a band. Um, yeah. and maybe that's just different approaches to gaming, but it is kind of an interesting disparity that's always intrigued me. I wonder how long the Kinect is going to last. I mean, I, I realize it's it's interesting new technology, and people are doing a lot of cool stuff with it just outside of gaming. But we, when we got the Wii, um, we played you know all the Wii Sports and all the swing your arms around stuff, and we got the little thing that sits on the floor that you can step on, and it's just kind of sat in the corner after the first couple of months, just because uh, it's annoying to get up off the sofa. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that, the is sofa is there that is honesty. That is honesty, and I like that. And I, I mean, I understand how getting up and swinging your arms around and, and, you know, the, the Wii exercise stuff, you can work up a sweat, but that's not what I do when I'm in front of the TV or ever. Well, I think all these different input things we have here, like, you know, we've got motion sensors, we've got the gyroscopes and we've got cameras, we've, you know, all these different things. These are converging on, like, it's kind of like when we had, you know, telephones that were just phones and then they had cameras in them and then they, you know, had GPS in them. It's like these different forms of input will sort of, you know, be refined and converge to the point where it will be taken for granted two generations from now that all these sensors exist in your living room. You've got multiple cameras, multiple microphones, you know, and you can do a lot of interesting things with them. What you're saying is your living room will be a holodeck. <laughs> That's going to take a while, but I'm, I'm just like, the, people aren't going to be debating, oh, do we really need a motion control? Do we really need a camera pointing at me? It's like, well, duh, you know, every phone has a camera. Well, duh, of course my living room has 12 cameras so it can get me in, you know, quadraphonic stereoscopic But are you going to want to use them? Well, but yeah, they're going to be used for everything. They're going to be used for turning on the TV, for changing channels, for, you know, selecting for menus, and yeah, for playing games, because why wouldn't you use them for games? Not exclusively for games, not be, not controllers disappear, but it's just one more thing to add, right? Yeah, but I just, I, I don't find, my kids, when they play the Wii now, they sit on the sofa, they turn the controller sideways, and they play Super Battle, you know, Twitch. Yeah, well... Traditional it, games have a lot of staying power, brawl. you know. That traditional games will always be there, but I think if you if you had a traditional game that had, for example, pupil tracking, right? You could be holding a controller but looking on the screen to do stuff, you know, to, to do different things, to look with your eyes, change viewpoint, or you know, aim aim a targeting thing. And that's, and that's where the connect really you know, gets gets interesting. Is be, uh, you know, you have really your first true sort of semi holodeck experience uh, when you set up what they call your connect ID. You've had sex with it. <laughs> You, were you in Shakespearean times, or was it the the forties? No, so not anyway, that kind of experience. <laughs> my understanding is every time they go in the holodeck, something bad happens. Yeah, but it's all resolved in the end. What are the what are the, what are the, what are the, what are the yeah, all your games like on the on the connect? All your games will take forty minutes, and they will be nicely wrapped up at the end. <laughs> if I went in, if I had my own holodeck, the thing would constantly be shorting out. <laughs> Just from fluids, from the fluids. Yes. But yeah, by the way, do we all do we all agree that if if the holodeck actually existed, it would end humanity within like a year and a half? <laughs> oh, easily. Hell, if Starcraft can kill half of Korea, then a holodeck will kill the world. Yeah, we'd all be dead in the holodeck, in, starved to death. I'm assuming inside the holodeck right. within a year and a half, all of humanity. That's a that's a big holodeck. If, if individually uh, we can't all be in the same holodeck. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, anyway. <laughs> you, uh, you can a compelling feature of gaming. What, what was this podcast right. about? It's the gr the grim back future of gaming. I want to hear about the Connect. Let's go. So uh, yeah, you can set up this thing called your Connect ID, which is associated with your avatar, and uh, which which basically represents your save games for for the Xbox. Uh, and it, it involves you moving around various places in your living room and turning your head slightly. And it takes various sort of pictures of your face. Um, subsequent to that, you walk into the – my daughter was playing Connectables the other day, and I happened to walk past her on my way to the couch, and a little thing popped up saying, Mr. Bum Biscuit has signed in. <laughs> that's that's it's, disturbing for another it's a, reasons. It's, well, <laughs> it is a little freakish in, in a lot of respects. but uh, So it's that's that was an interesting experience, and I think it's – Part of the excitement with the Connect is, is I think people kind of see that we're really sort of on the edge of, of what may end up being holodeck technology someday in the future. 
Well, I mean, um, that, that is, there is some really interesting stuff going on with all that facial detection. I know when they first showed off the Kinect, they had that whole um, creepy Peter Molyneux. Oh, was that disturbing? Um, yeah, Milo. his little, I can't remember what was the name of the Milo. Milo, Milo, was Milo the right, Milo. with the, the little boy who lives inside the Xbox and wants you desperately to be his friend. You know, I understand the economic reasons, but isn't it weird that all this kind of uh, facial detection and, and body tracking and is, is being developed for games? Well, it's being developed for defense as well. I but mean, games like, always they, one of those things that push the envelope. I mean, when you looked at any, uh, you know, like computers during the '90s or what, what have you, or it, games are the things that push the processors faster and the graphics cards better and all of that, right? Because they're always the most demanding thing on the system. Right. I mean, there were no sound cards for PCs until gaming pushed it. Well, things like facial recognition or 3D graphics cards or memory or yeah, right. just and, uh, body tracking. It's like facial recognition they've had for years for, you know, FBI databases and stuff. And it takes a while for that technology to scale down to be on consoles and things like a gate analysis and, and uh, other body tracking. That was a little bit from Hollywood, you know, with motion control and special effects. But you need, you know, big rigs and lots of computers. And eventually it becomes practical to do that with smaller computers. So in this respect, I think gaming is getting the hand-me-downs. Uh, unlike graphics where gaming was pushing the envelope. Uh, in, this, in this area, game is getting the handy-downs of other industries who did this more expensively on government contracts with big hardware, and now we can do it, you know, on our phones or on any little the, the game. The Kinect thing. comes with a blue bodysuit with ping-pong balls glued all over that's it. That's the PlayStation I mean, that's move. That's what the Move is. The Move gives you a stick with a ping-pong ball on it. Right? <laughs> and and I, li- I like that about the Move because that's proven technology. Like, ball on a stick works. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting back to the kind of games that uh, your dad used to play. That's yeah, right. That, that one, the ball, you had to catch it on the stick. On the Move, it's already there, and it's stuck there. But it changes. You've already won. There's, there's no challenge involved in that. Where's right. the honor? Well, it makes me wonder what other technologies are going to trickle down. I mean, will, will we all be flying Predator drones around and, like, playing games with those yeah. in, like, two years? Oh, man, Hawkeye is going to be great. so messy. <laughs> well, if, if the Kinect's proven anything, it's that the technology has a long way to go. I mean, you do – I will say it works about as well as the Wii did on launch in terms of its ability to, to track you. And, and it is very, very cool, uh, you know, when it's implemented properly in the games, like uh, – I think the the standout title for the Connect at launch was was uh, I think somebody mentioned Dance Central, mm-hmm. which is uh, amazingly fun if you don't mind flailing about ridiculously in your living room for you know the embarrassment uh, the embarrassment factor for the entertainment of your friends and neighbors. And so that's an example of using the Connect technology on, on the low end. Like this, Connect can do tons of stuff, but all Dance Central is doing is edge detection and catching your silhouette. So well, that's, that's kind of like the we the really. well no the connect can also do depth and to see how far you know it, it can do uh, it gives a depth map of like how far your hands are in front of you or behind you but but uh, the dance central specifically issues all of the connects technology except for edge detection which is a really simple you know image algorithm so that's what makes it responsive and that's what makes it you know sort of more reliable than where they're trying right. to track your limbs in 3D space well and they're also not expecting a, an immediate real time response to your movements. I mean, it's it, it's set up in such a way that you're not actually looking at an image of yourself on the screen. You're you're looking at right, this an on-screen dancer, and uh, and as you're moving around, you know, it has time to actually figure out what it is that you're doing before it has to put it up on the screen that you've screwed up your right leg or whatever. Probably the biggest downside of the Kinect is the fact that uh, it takes such a huge amount of space in order for you to actually play the games. I mean, if you live in a small concert hall, you're in good shape, but uh, I I can't really foresee it selling well in Japan or anywhere else where people live in these little shoe boxes because uh, I mean you, you have to move the coffee table the couch you know your the retaining wall of your house <laughs> and only then do you have enough room that you're not you know standing on your son on the couch so you know it does have its problems but uh, definitely a, a, an interesting tech and uh, and the games are surprisingly fun for it which is which is more than I was expecting to be honest I'd, li- I'd like to put a plug in as long as we're, uh, you know, talking about all these innovative technologies. There are some really good, uh, even among those AAA titles that are that are somewhat derivative. I find every once in a while um, that there there are a couple that that do really interesting and new things. And this week I've been playing, just started playing um, this new game, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, which I have not played a single bit of the single player for, but the the multiplayer is fascinating. Um, and I think it was most uh, simply described uh, by one of the guys at Penny Arcade as, you ever played the game Assassins when you were in high school, 
which is basically you had a group of friends and, you know, you basically the game involved every person got like a target among the group. Right. Um, and you had you got like a plastic spoon or something. And you had to like go up and like stab them with the spoon and, and, and then you collect on their target. And you would inherit sort of whoever they were supposed to kill. Well, Assassin's Creed kind of has a multiplayer that's, that's sort of like this. And it's it's a fascinating twist on a lot of the typical first person shooters, because unlike those which really rely on twitch gaming and and reflexes and that kind of stuff assassin's creed kind of makes you fight all those instincts um basically you're dropped into a map with that is populated entirely with a finite number of character models say eight or something um so everybody on the map and there's a decent number of people on the map looks like one of these eight characters there's multiple versions of, of all of them and so each player is is also one of those characters and you're you're told to assassinate you know, one of the other characters, but they look like any number of people on the map. So somehow you have to figure out. You're talking about high-tech stratego here, it sounds like. It, it's very yes. interesting yeah. because you, you have to walk around sort of slowly and blend in. The strategy is to play like an artificial intelligence. And, and that's, it's very, very strange, but it's really effective because you'll be walking through this crowd and you're trying, you don't want to run or anything that will draw attention to you. Um, and someone will brush by you and you'll, you'll have that split second where you're like, mm, something about that guy was not quite right. And then they just stab you in the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, I like it as a kind of a, it's, it's, you know, there've been these stealth action games for a long time, the previous Assassin's Creed and uh, Splinter Cell and Thief and things like that, where like, they had a very simple mechanic where like, you know, if you move slower, you won't arouse the, the attention of guards around you. But I like this that now that it's not like, you know, you're either moving too fast or not, like red light, green light, but like you are moving in a way that will be perceived by a human as irregular or not. It's a reverse Turing test. Yeah, exactly. It is a reverse Turing test. I'm reminded test. of the uh, second episode of The Walking Dead, if either of you, any of you guys yes. are yeah. keeping up on that. Uh, that's a different podcast, though. We're saving that for the end. <laughs> So this is the beauty of playing with other people, though, because that experience that you had there, with Dan, with other people, you couldn't have had that you if you just yeah. played with the computers. There's no, no absolutely not. This game, yeah, it does not work without that. And really, it only, it works best when you have a certain number of people. Otherwise, it gets just too easy to figure out. But it was it was a fascinating experience from coming from a lot of games where it's like the goal is, you know, you got to run really fast, you got to shoot somebody a lot, you know, and then you got to try to get away. Whereas in this one, it's really about blending in and fighting those instincts to do anything that's going going to get you there faster and in fact there are a lot of people you'll run into online who do take that approach of like i'm going to run really fast and try to kill everybody and they get just, killed you, a lot and you don't get rewarded yeah. for it either they're called like, jack wagons <laughs> although i'm gonna i'm gonna defend my uh, the, the traditional gaming in that at the top levels traditional first person gaming you know where you think oh it's a twitch game and you run really fast and shoot everybody you have to play that strategically if you try to play like run around and shoot everybody you will not be able to hang with with you know reasonably good players it's a strategic game in terms of territory and power up control and not just running into fights that you can't win that's what separates you know the the, the uh, top tier players from just Leroy, from the 30 year olds Right, but no, but the twelve-year-olds learn this. It's amazing. Like, you have to know the territory, you know, sort of defend the turf that has the power-ups, and not engage in fights that you're going to lose. It becomes like a you know sort of Sun Tzu art of war type of thing. It looks crazy and twitchy, and you do need the crazy fast reflexes, which is why we still all get our butts handed to us by twelve-year-olds because their reflexes are just better than thirty-year-olds, right? But uh, there is that other element lurking underneath all types of gameplay. Yeah, I, I will second that as somebody who has had, you know, been beaten by a number of 12-year-olds. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's, it, there's there's a lot more to the game to that. Like I was saying before, there, there, you sometimes, you suddenly figure out at a certain point, like, whoa, there's like a whole nother level, like exponential yep. level of the game than what I am perceiving. Yep. And, um, and, it, and it has doesn't have as much to do with reflexes as it does with, you know, understanding the strategy and mechanics of the game. What's the best way to play this? And it, even if it looks like just random shooting and spraying, it's not. I used to play Battlefield 2, and it was a great game. It was the first massive multiplayer game I'd played, and you could assemble into squads, and there would be a squad leader who would determine your, your strategic approach to a particular target. And I logged on one night and joined a squad, and the squad leader was issuing uh, – had radio silenced us, and so we were sneaking up on a particular target, and he was spreading people out and assigning them their jobs according to the what character class they were playing, and – and so everybody was in position and we waited and we waited and finally it came time to go. And this, this 11 year old voice says, okay, everybody hit him. 
I, I have had that experience as well, especially after in the old, we used to play Halo um, before Xbox, uh, Microsoft came up with this party system, which meant you didn't have to talk to strangers on the internet. You would have a brief second at the end of a Halo match, like maybe about 10 or 20 seconds where people would the scream people, and they would just, it was always like these 12 year old kids. The most, like, the most racist, homophobic, angriest 12 year old kids <laughs> blasting rap music that you have ever heard. So all twelve-year-olds kids. All twelve. Apparently, I didn't know twelve-year-olds were like that. But man, it was a little—it was a little disheartening. I mean, like, it was disheartening for both for the state of society as well as for the fact that we'd just gotten really badly beaten by them. But yeah, well, I mean, so we're we're getting close towards the end of our our allotted time here. But I want to know if there's anything in particular you guys want to recommend. I mean, whether it be a, a higher level title or something more like a mobile game or anything, even a classic game. Um, any any Thank suggestions? You. Sorry, old game, old game, Greg. I've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of games that I'm playing, but I don't know if any of them are novel recommendations. I mean, who wants to recommend like you know, Cut the Rope is really good? Well, you know, everybody knows that. Well, yeah. Have you tried this Angry good. Birds thing? <laughs> I hear there's there's birds and they're they're angry. Uh, I'm going to put in a plug for uh, uh, reliving your gaming past through your children, uh, which is what I'm doing now. Uh, so step one, have children, you, everybody. Yeah, step step one. It's a long road, but like have children. It'll ultimately, work. if you're an if you're an avid gamer, you've already failed. <laughs> All right, yeah. you will and you will not pass step one if you're a, a regular gamer. Sorry. Well, you see, like <laughs> trying to play games, I wouldn't go back and play these games on my own. But going back and letting my son play through them uh, is you know is an interesting experience, and it does help me uh, appreciate the games that I enjoyed. You know, when I was a little bit younger, seeing someone else experience them for the first time. I think that's. I think classic video games are like the Hugo's list. Is you can go back and and read something that's been on the Hugo's since the mid '60s, and it still blows you away. And I think that if you're if you're willing to put up with you know not having you know shadow rendered graphics on an Xbox 360, that you can still enjoy something like Deadline, which is an amazing game, or or Shufflepuck Cafe, or Mule. Uh, still Mule. play Mule every once in a while. Uh, 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 Archon, uh, Murder on the Zindernoff. There, they are all. There are uh, literally thousands of terrific games out there, and and they're not going to be the experience that they are today, but they are still unique and pleasurable experiences. Well, well, there's something to saying that it's not just the technology that makes a game fun, right? I mean, my few years ago, I think maybe I was still in college. Even we, my friends and I, found a version of. Did you ever play Scorched Earth? Classic yeah. DOS game with tanks. Basically, the progenitor of things like worms. You've got a lot of tanks. You sort of have to figure out the altitude um, of, you know, an angle that you're going to fire your tank, your your gun on your turn and see if you manage to hit somebody else. And if not, it's someone else's turn. And then you just learn, sort of figure it out by trial and error. And we found a Java-based version of this online. And we played it, like, nonstop for, like, two months. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just – it was intensely entertaining even though it was, like, 1984 graphics. So I think there's more to – I mean, the technology is really interesting and I think technology is part of what drives games forward. But at the end of the end of the day, I think it really depends more on, on – A good game is a good game. Exactly. Although there is a certain amount of technology that has to be there. I mean, I, I bust out the emulators fairly frequently and I find that as fondly as I remember the old Atari 2600 games – you just can't play them for more than a minute and a half anymore. You just can't. I mean, you're looking at squares being eaten by v vaguely oblong dragons, you know, using an arrow for a sword. Don't you diss Adventure, man. I'll come over there and kick your ass if you Adventure. diss <laughs> I love Adventure dearly, but man, you just can't play them anymore. Well, though, though I will say that one of the most in, like intense gaming experiences I've, I've ever had was being at the uh, the Penny Arcade Expo. Combat, yeah. Second or third year, and it came down to they have this Omegathon where they compete in have a bunch of people that compete in various different games throughout like several different rounds. And the final round was a one-on-one -on -one showdown with the Atari game Combat in like an <laughs> arena of like or a few thousand people probably. Alternative titles, intense. square versus square. <laughs> but see, again, but, there you're not, you're not relying on the technology to provide the entertainment. You're relying sure. on the fact you're playing another human. Right. So. Well, I mean, you're, you're all watching this epic match between these two guys trying to decide who takes home this huge bundle of prizes or whatever. And I mean, sure. it was definitely entertaining. But yes, I don't know that. I, I did briefly. We had a party at a friend's house one night where we broke out the Atari and played combat. And man, once we got it working, <laughs> you got to blow out the cartridges and everything. Oh, yeah. I can still play a Mean Warlords. <laughs> There's a, yeah, I had a shoebox of those Atari titles at one time that were just uh, gathering dust, and we just try each one of them until we found that would work, and then we play that. So you know, ET e it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't play that game. It is so bad. <laughs> uh, you can get a free one out in the uh, Las Vegas area desert. I understand. <laughs> the guy yeah, who made that game is up. really indignant about that. <laughs> well, sadly, he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> I actually like DT. I'm going to no, go on. No, you, you knew how to play it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I finished it. That, wow. That's possible? Ooh, you stop playing it. it. That's how you're winning tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with these you, games, you walk away. the whole purpose was to... Was Are you to trying keep... to say the only winning move is not to play? I, if, uh, thank you. We might want to end it on that. Maybe, maybe that is a good place <laughs> to end it. So uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for joining us. I want to thank all of our uh, contributors this week. Greg Noss. Thank you. Uh, Steve Lutz. It's been real. John Syracuse. Good night, everybody. Tony Sindelar. Woo! And I am your guest host, Dan Morin, sitting in for Jason Snell, who will probably be back next time. Thanks for joining us again. Good night, everybody. Good night. This has been the Incomparable Podcast. Visit us at theincomparable.com. You, we need to do more of that, of like the thing where you take the outtakes and you throw them at the end after the music. Did that once or twice, but we need to do yeah. more of that. So then, I, then we need to say increasingly outrageous things before we actually start, so that you can, you know, pick and choose the ridiculous things and stick them on the end. I'll do an intro and we'll go. Uh, what the hell am I going to say? Okay. No, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> it's going to be seamless, good. Dan, it's so yeah. easy when Jason does it. Oh, it just starts yeah. talking. Come on. Wow. Wow. Well, Jason's not here to run things, so I guess that falls to me, which is kind of weird. But um, I, yeah, I'm freaked out a little bit right now. I, I, he's my boss, so I do whatever the hell he tells me. You, you realize you can create any reason that he's not showing up. That is a good point. That, I have many options. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm in for Jason Snell, who's in rehab this week. <laughs> nice. I mean, he probably will get to edit it before it actually goes up on the website, so... Do you think he's actually going to edit this? He doesn't <laughs> He just takes the beginning I, and the I, end I, off and tacks the music on. What was his excuse anyway? His excuse is that he knows nothing about video games or something? I think that was pretty much it. Well, he didn't know anything <laughs> about horror movies either, but he did that one. Uh, I'm running a different sort of ship here. I don't know. <laughs> Snell's been coddling you guys. This yeah. is going to be hard-hitting. All right.